men in their fifties have, they have a lot of time to, to perfect their art. And so a man in his fifties has a different point of view than a character in their, you know, early twenties. And so it was important. I just wanted like a rising star in the art world. And we found this artist named Rocky Ford and she was thrilled to be, you know, included and, and have her art be in the movie. And so it was important to match the art with the character and, and the, the artist with the character as well. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a hitman turns into an overnight avant-garde sensation in director Nicole Payone's thriller, The Kill Room. The film tells the story of an art dealer who teams with a hitman and his boss for a money laundering scheme, trading paintings by way of assassinations. But when the exchange accidentally launches the hitman's work into fame, the dealer is forced to pit her art world against the underworld. In addition to The Kill Room, Payone's other directorial credit includes the feature film Friendsgiving. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Payone spoke with director Jim Rash about filming The Kill Room. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. I was working on Wall Street with one person who would later give me the script in 2019 and another person who I asked to finance the movie, and they did. And in 1994, Sam and Umer were doing Pulp Fiction. Wow. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> None. And so, and so were you through the whole development of the process? And- yes. So when I received the script written by Jonathan Jacobson... I loved it. And I developed it for about two years with him, just kind of rounding out the characters, more story turns, kind of overnoting him to death. Good. Good. As, as, you, do, as you should. As you should. That is your right. Right. <laughs> it is my right. Um, and then we, in about November of 2021, we, uh, Uma Thurman, as you know, mm-hmm. signed on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what was the... For you, the reaction of that kind of cast that you had, what was it? You said stunned, but that's because someone took That you. is a little bit of a misquote oh, by a, misquote a reporter. Okay. I was stunned by the synchronicity of it all. Because mm-hmm. while developing the script, I had been politely bugging Danielle Thomas, a partner at Untitled. I had known her for 10, 15 years, she saw me at the Groundlings, oh. where I met you. Yes, that's right. I don't know if you know that. I, I think I do remember meeting you. Sure. Okay. Um, and I had been begging her for, uh, politely begging uh, her to read the script for about a year. I just knew she would like it. I love their clients over there. I figured if she read it and responded to it, hopefully we can cast it with a lot of untitled clients. I did not know, and this is the God's honest truth, I did not know she represented Uma Thurman. No one. No. I I was on a walk with my fiance and she said like, I, you know, probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but she was like, who's your ultimate Patrice? And, and I, I just said, without thinking, without even, I just said, Uma Thurman. 
And then I kid you not, maybe two days later, Danielle Thomas called me and she was like, I read this. It's so good. This is Uma Thurman. And I was like, do you represent Uma Thurman? And she said, yeah, I'm seeing her in an hour. Can I give it to her? So when I said by the, when I uttered Uma Thurman's name, two weeks later, I was in Uma's living room and we were doing dueling Ariana Huffington impersonations. And she said, yes. And that was your audition process? That, that was my audition do? process. Yes. <laughs> Uma's was better. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. It was, and that's how she got the part. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what was it like for working with her and Sam? Because I mean, that's kind of a, a big and I imagine that'll be a big thing. What do you thing. mean? Well, you know, <laughs> a reunion of sorts, a little bit, 20 yes. years, yes. maybe? 20, 30, 30 years, right? 94. Oh, yeah. Two of them. Okay. Two I didn't, math's not my thing. It's but about yeah, 30 years. But what was it? Was it, was it intimidating? What was that process? When I was away from them in my head, yes, it was very intimidating because I was imagining all the things that I could do wrong and I could say or to just, I, I was really, I, I, I got myself a little worked up, but once we, we had two days of rehearsal and the first day Sam and Uma were there and we were, Uma was closing the door and I swear it was like in slow motion and she was locking the door and I was, and I was like, no. And Uma just turns and goes, let's get her, Sam. And then that just, (laughs) you know, that just relaxed me. And then when you, get into the work and you talk about the characters, it's, it's yes. like riding a bicycle. At that point, they, yes, they've hooked into it. Yes. Yes. And do you, cause this is round two after Friendsgiving as yes. far as directing. And I'm always curious about someone going into their second film and then what, what did you, what did you take from Friendsgiving? You're like, I'm going to always do that. And what mm-hmm. did you sort of evolve? And then what did you, maybe you threw out? Threw out. Um, I threw out saying yes to three weeks of prep. Oh. I, what I took was silent takes. I, I tried to do it on this one as, I mean, as much as I could, meaning like have the actors run through the scene, record it, but nobody says any dialogue just to get reactions. Cause I always find that you need reactions or somebody's mouth is moving and you can't use that because mm-hmm. their mouth is moving the side of their head. And if you do a scene completely silently, then you can get all the reactions without the things that kind of go wrong. Oh. So I took that. I tried to, I, I mean, I did it maybe once or twice and it, it, it worked. I used it. And what else? I, in my first movie, I just had the actors do it one way because I was like, that's the way it is in my head. It's going to work. Yeah. I well, just thought everything was going to work and nothing was going to be cut. And there were no scenes cut. So I was kind of right. But in looking back, that scared the heck out of me that I yeah. did it that way. Because in the kill room, I I mean, I didn't have to ask or tell Uma or Sam to to build a varied performance. And so each take, you know, different emotions, different ways of doing things because of the tone of the movie. Yeah. It was a delicate balance, thriller, dramedy, com- comedy. Right. And, and about that, because balancing that tone is, is a chore in and of itself, both on the set and then obviously into edit. So what did you find the edit started to find things that needed to stay or go or be finessed because tone was being this delicate balance. Yeah. I think the hardest 
scene was the murder of Rashnikov mm-hmm. because on the page it was a little cheekier. It was funnier because we, we would cut out to the audience and they would sort of on the page, it was like, they were, you know, Oh, this is derivative. I've seen this before. And the, you know, nineteenth of yeah. Comments on it, yeah. Art world comments. And that was very funny on the page. It was very funny in the read through, but then, you know, you get it up on its feet and you, you're in the editing room and you cut it and, and it was tough to go from the brutality of him murdering Rashnikov to then like a joke. And mm. so it just didn't work. And so I just recut it and with, well, my editor, Jillian Hutsching, mm-hmm. she recut it and we just, we worked on that for a, a, a long time. Yes. Those are the ones where you have to take a break and go home. Yes. Have, and, have a meal. And have a meal and look at it with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. Watch Housewives. Just, Watch, you know. Yes. Housewives fix really, everything. Really, it's a palate cleanser. Yeah, the Housewives, cleanser. sure. And is there anything that was, you were surprised that didn't make the cut that had to go or- yeah, so we, Jonathan and I wrote an action scene and it was, I love this scene. It was an action scene, but it was funny and it was in Coney Island and it was, uh. it was in place of when Joe and Uma, when Joe punches uh, the, the goons, the henchmen, yes. there was a big action scene there and it, and it was, she was taking him on his artist dinner to Coney Island and the goons are looking for him and they, they fight with the water guns and he sticks one in his mouth and it, the <laughs> balloon thing goes off and he's choking him with water and she's on the bumper cards. It was just, it was a very intricate six page action scene. Wow. So Coney Island got expensive. We had two stunt days and then one regular shoot day. And then that got whittled down. And then we had one, we were down to one shoot day for a six page action scene. And our producers were like, can we do it in a park in New Jersey? And I was like, (laughs) I can't have the lead of kill bill (laughs) jumping over a blade of grass in New Jersey. Like we just, we just had to cut it and it, it killed me to cut it. Uh, and th- that was after the process or in the, in the shooting of it? That was during pre-production. Oh, pre-production. Yes. Okay. And so that was sort looking of back, early. Yes. It was, I was right to do that because we never would have made it. Cause you did 25 days? You 25 said? days. Yeah. That's still tight. Very tight. Especially if you're adding that action. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you mentioned, and I'm going to make, I want you to just, I'm just going to lob it up cause I haven't heard it, but talk about the ending. Yes. So the ending we we shot, well, we planned on ending in Florida, a beautiful sunset scene with Joe and Uma saying goodbye. And when we were on our tech scout the day before shooting, our producer, I was like just kind of looking at the Miami Convention Center. We were setting up the shot and I was so thankful. It was a beautiful day. And I was just like, you're, you're almost there. You, 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 you made it like just have a few more scenes, some exterior shots, like take a breath, enjoy Florida if you can. And, um, (laughs) at that moment when I was in full gratitude, my producer walks up to me and says, Joe has COVID. And from that moment till the, 
minute we finished because of rain two days later, it was, it was insanity pretty much because mm. I had to rewrite the ending with just Uma uh. and I shot stand-ins, the back of stand-ins heads while, well, you know, Joe was completely out. So we couldn't have him in that scene when, when Anton comes and she finds him in, in, in Florida down at the Miami art fair, Joe was supposed to be in that scene. So you have to rewrite it. And then I had to rewrite the ending. Uma's plane got rerouted for lightning. She gets rerouted to Sarasota. The woman she was next to on the plane, thank God the woman was like nice to her and talked to her and, and they had chatted each other up, like trying to figure out what they were going to do. Uma gets off. She tries to rent a car to drive down to Miami all the cars were rented. She goes to a hotel to get a, a room that was full. And at that moment, she's sitting in front of the hotel. The woman who she was sitting next to pulls up in a rental car and says, get in. We're driving to Miami. <laughs> and the woman kept calling her Irma. She didn't know it was Uma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she kept calling her Irma. And halfway down the Florida Turnpike, Uma finally says, I, I'm, I'm, my name's Uma. I'm Uma Thurman. I'm going down to shoot a movie and the woman's like you're Uma Thurman I'm best friends with your manager Danielle <laughs> and it was like what? now I call Uma Irma Sarasota like she's in my phone as Irma Sarasota as she should be as she should so be. basically Uma was doing planes trains automobiles exactly within the movie of within the your movie. movie yes what uh what was the most for you challenging aspect of this process I think that ending and, yeah. and really having to scramble and rewrite in, in a frantic hurry and trying to figure out how to pivot. And like, uh, thankfully we shot the back of the, of the stand-ins because that one scene when, when they're looking at the green boat, that's in Florida and that's the back of the stand-ins heads. And then we had to cobble together a reshoot in New Jersey. And I found a and a high school friend who had a boat and a house. And, and so I got some Amazon palm tree leaves and put them behind Uma's head. And they were looking at the, that white boat. And it was, it, it was a lot of rewriting and a lot of covering and it's, it's a little convoluted, but that's abstract art for you. That's how it works. That's yeah. how it works. And as far as the music composing, Mm. Same person. Same person that I worked with uh, Friendsgiving. for Friendsgiving, Jessica Weiss. And uh, Weiss, I'm so sorry, Jessica Weiss. Um, You're really close. I'm not. <laughs> really close to her. <laughs> best friends, best, best friends. friends. Um, Jessica Weiss and Jason Suda, they, um, I, I really, I love the score in this movie. I love what we found. I kept saying it like, I want Uma to have a jewel tone. And she kept going, what's a jewel tone? And I was like, I don't know. Like we were like singing back and forth and improvising. And then Jessica came up with the, Ooh, na, na, that mm. part and, and the vocals. And I think that fits really nicely because there's like an ominousness to it. Yeah. And then there's also this like light sense of positivity to it, which I think, Balances the tone of the movie nicely. Yeah. If you will. 
No, absolutely. I think it's, it's part of the tone thing. I, I find um, that process interesting to go into someone else's world, like a composer's world, and yeah. and and try to communicate like you did with mm-hmm. Jewel right. and see if they can even see, understand what, what you're talking right. about. And and she didn't at first, but I, I sounded it out. And then, then she did it in her own way. I think I, I put in some some temp stuff or I would send her some temp stuff and I was like, like this, but different. And, you know, it's, it's such an intricate language that only they speak. And Jessica, she nailed it, I thought. And I was more than happy with what I, like she took it and she put it in her own box and she played with it for a while. And then she came out with that and I just, I love it. Yeah. What is the... For you, this time around, after Friendsgiving, what's the per- personal satisfaction in directing this film? Or the most personal satisfaction? I, I think all the challenges. I think we, it, this, we were challenged in every, every sense. And I know every film is, and I know every film is different, but there was, it was weather, it was, it was COVID, it was, rewriting on the fly. It was boats aren't available. It was nothing was available that I thought would be. And, and so really just taking what was given and, and the fact that there even is a movie I'm amazed at because it wasn't the easiest movie to make. Yeah. Uh, Different from Friendsgiving? Very different. Friendsgiving was in one house um, and I had my editor cutting all along with me. So my editor would say like, oh, we, we need a shot of this or a shot of that. And, and, and we could get it because we were in the one house. But luckily when we were shooting in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is where we shot the kill room in Hoboken and Jersey city, um, my editor Gillian was like, we need close-ups of the bags. And, and so we were able to like run, it was a block away and we were able to run down and go, you know, set, reset up and, and, yes. and get the shots. We Some needed. other eyes on this at yes. the same time when your brain is going right. a thousand different places. Yes. I'm curious because you, when you mentioned the bags and when I'm watching it, I'm thinking in your production design, mm. talking about art because you have to create yes. a very specific art here where yes. you have to create the bag, the bag mm-hmm. man's art, but also, I guess, art that's quote unquote, not great. Right. right. The hardest And then part. what is that? So yes. yeah, what was that process for? It was basically me stripping um, these fine artists whose names are not in the credits and rightfully so, because who would want to be accredited <laughs> so, for, so for the bad art? So to make, yes. quote unquote, Yes. Questionable art. Questionable art. And they were very refined. They would mix colors. And I was like, no, no, no. Pri- he, he would not mix colors. Primary. I was like, take a bag and staple it. I felt so like wait, a real cinematic slob. fight you? Because every, like fight you on the primary colors? Is that what you're saying? Like, I would imagine an artist is having a trouble. They, they had, they had trouble because they were mixing colors. The first, the first iteration of it was beautiful. I wanted it. I I'm still Mm -hmm. trying to get my hands on it. And then maybe the, by the fourth one, they started to sort of get sloppier, which is what was needed. Cause you know, Reggie's, it was important that Reggie was not a good artist, that Patrice found his truth in the bags, which that is his truth in his life. And the rawness of that 
Patrice has the, she had an eye for those, that type of art because it was his truth. Yeah. And he's not going to be a, a good artist. Mm -hmm. And so I had them like take the brush and scrape the, like just, I had to strip them of, of every. Yeah, you had to break them down. Yeah, to break them down. You had down. to take every instant mm -hmm. they had yes. and switch and it. Same with the bags and all that as far as putting them on the No, crates. the bags were, they, we, 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 sent a million and one, you know, documents back and forth. And I think it was something by Damien Hurst that really caught my eye and the stacking of the bags that took a minute because to build that inner plastic thing and not show it. Mm -hmm. But, um, that was, that was really my favorite art piece in the movie. Yeah. The one at the, the stack, three on top the three, of each yes, other. Yes. I'm yes. trying to get my hands that on those like as well. That felt like it was real. Yes. And that could, I think actually that the movie is, it's plausible that it could happen because it was written based on an article that this woman at Art Basel, she was stabbed and she was walking around Art Basel bleeding and people thought it was performance a performance art. piece. Yeah. They thought it was performance and that was art. The, for the whole, that was the impetus for the whole. That was the impetus. Yeah. Like, the woman did not die. So. Yeah. Just, she's still alive. Everyone, everyone relax. Yes. Because <laughs> it felt like everyone got tense. Yeah. I you know? felt it. I felt it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Air went out of the room. Mm -hmm. type mm -hmm. She's was alive. The, was the composer the only person you had worked with uh, before? Did production design or anyone else overlap yeah. with? It was, it was composer. Everyone else was, was new. It was new. And, and I have to say my production designer Maita Perez Nieves was, she was, she was brilliant. I thought she did an incredible job and, um, it's, we had a wonderful art, art advisor and who, uh, Miriam Katzoff. It's hard to source art for, yeah. for character to, shoot. to oh. shoot and for characters. Cause it was important that say like Grace's art, right. You know, there were a couple of artists, they were men in their fifties and men in their fifties have, they have a lot of, um, like they've had a lot of time to, to perfect their art. And so a man in his fifties has a different point of view than a character in their, you know, early twenties. And so it was important to, to find the right, even gender, not to get binary about it, but I just wanted like a rising star in the art world. And we found this artist named Rocky Ford and she was thrilled to be, you know, included and, and have her art be in the movie. And so it was important to match the art with the character and, and the, the artist with the character as well. Yeah. Imagine the difficult process. It was. And then, uh, how how do you approach with the different departments from costume to um, to production design and stuff? Do you ask for three options? Do you, mm. do do you trust? You know, I'm always curious people's approach to. There's no trust. No. Yeah. No. I was going to hope that was your answer. I, is that your way? Is that or is that? I I think I trust too much sometimes, and then I mm. and then something will come, and I'll be like, Oh my god, no. Oh God! In I the say? moment, you're like, yeah, I, I'm this like, isn't oh it. shit! I didn't have to do that really at all in in this, except one time with the walls. We had we had to build walls for the program gallery, and we covered up a lot, and and they were all white, and it was so stark, and that's when we had to just 
paint it sort of a, 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 not a moss green, but like a, I don't know the color, burnt sienna. Oh, a burnt sienna. No. <laughs> oh, love a good burnt sienna. <laughs> sure. It's love a good burnt sienna. So joke. Uma, Sam, or Joe, who was most difficult to work with? <laughs> Are we going to do F. Mary Kill? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, do it. <laughs> oh, I can't. You can't. I couldn't. No, not I them. would. Hmm. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> well, no, no, Since no. we can't get that, that's probably a good place for us to wrap up. <laughs> Joe was amazing. I thought he was really vulnerable and Uma was incredible. Uma would, um, each take was a different emotion, but she would give me the same rhythm. So I would mm. take the, the lines of dialogue out of her mouth and put it in while the camera's on her and it would match. Wow. Yeah. She saved me. She saved <laughs> She saved me a few times. Do they have different processes? Like, is Sam's different from Uma? Um, well, I don't necessarily know what they did at home, but when they showed No, I want to know what happened at home. <laughs> well, I sat down with Uma for yeah. breakfast. Um, they, their processes with their teams were, were, were different. Like, of course, I was working more with Uma because... We were both in New York and I'd go over and we'd talk and send her music the character would listen to and and just monologues. I would just write her pages. She was probably like, please leave me alone. But um, so she and I really talked at great length about Patrice. With Sam, it was a lot of Zoom meetings with his team and we sent wardrobe to them because he was shooting another movie and so by the time Sam got to set, everything had been discussed and like character development and wardrobe and facial hair and everything was just uh, planned out. With Uma, it was just more of a process. She was, you know, she was the lead. She was in three times as many scenes. And so mm -hmm. we really had a lot of, a lot of chatting to do. And what was your process? Uh, different DP than Friendsgiving? Different DP, yeah. And, and how did you all sort of approach? Did you storyboard? Did you... We did not storyboard. Did not There's story. just not, there wasn't enough time. Um, I knew I wanted anamorphic lenses because Reggie and Patrice, their characters were not grounded. They were wanting more out of life. And, and I thought the spher spherical lens, it's, it's so sharp at the edges. Mm -hmm. I, anamorphic just feels like it's breathing. I don't know how, technically, I don't know how it does yeah, that, but we, it we, does. And I just like the cinematic look of an anamorphic lens. Um, and so I knew I wanted to shoot with that. And my DP Bartos, he was familiar with, thankfully, anamorphic lenses because I knew I liked the look, but I don't know how they work. <laughs> um, and so we, we, I, he, he did a lot of backlighting, like, and there wasn't a lot of key light because I kind of wanted to build like a, a mood, you know, I wanted it to be a little bit darker, mm -hmm. but not too dark, dark, but not too dark, Yeah, <laughs> light, but not too light. Just, it was really about, the whole thing was about balance for me. And do you, uh, do you shot lists or do you just go in and, and rehearse and see and feel it out? No, we, yeah, we definitely shot listed. We were in the location for I would say maybe two weeks before. So we, 
I think we got the gallery. Seven, yeah, gallery. the gallery and and a few other locations. We got to shot list. I mean, maybe seventy five percent of the movie, which I think is fairly good yeah. when you have five weeks of prep. And um, the scenes on the dock, they were supposed to be on a ferry. Couldn't get the ferry. It was too much time loading in and out. So we shot them on the dock and. You know, a lot of pivoting, but so those we obviously didn't shot list, but we shot listed maybe I would say 75% of the movie. That's good. Yeah. Well, I got the, it looks like we got the little wrap up time. Oh, we got the wrap but, up. Um, but thank you all for coming. Yes. And congratulations to Nicole Peone and Thank the you, Jim Room. Rash. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.